0: Welcome to Ex Libris On Air, and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. The book title, Bottomless Toothpaste Flats in Bruges. Welcome, sir, to the program, my author, John Patrick Acevedo. Thanks for inviting me. Good to good to uh, visit with you. I am uh, talking to you. You are in... Uh, where are you located, sir?
1: I'm in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. The, uh, the shining star of the Caribbean. Oh, ah, fabulous.
0: Puerto Rico. Have you always lived there, or is that something that's relatively new in your life?
1: Well, my from, from Puerto Rico. Uh, my father was. So I uh, I kind of kind of uh, used to come up here at least you know, just to see the family, and now I'm living here.
0: Fabulous. You have... Uh, v- have produced a book of poetry, if I can describe it that way. It's poems and and uh, observations on life. Basically, you call it a memoir. Uh, 150 pages, that's a fairly extensive work. How did it get started? Have you always been a writer and uh, thinker of uh, poetic thoughts?
1: Well, I uh, maybe around uh, my college years, I was trying to write poetry. And I guess the last year I, I i really tried to put something forward to show my family that I had accomplished graduation you know like uh in other words i, I had learned something <laughs> and when i when I, when I wrote them I wrote a couple of things called uh, salt peters my pillar uh uh Animal Security and all Souls day which were three real real short they're they're about maybe like uh eight lines each. Hmm. <laughs> but i did that and uh and then after that um i i had kind of been uh i guess you say burned out from college so when i started working uh, after i got out of college in hardy's uh fast food uh, i i had a new slate you know to 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 try to write poetry and and somehow this time it worked so i, I wrote the first one was a uh, salt peter's but i remember very clearly i I was very proud of it so i asked the, the uh, store manager if he could put it well actually i put it on the board myself
2: uh-huh. and then
1: about two hours later he said uh, uh again i guess the policy to have it up is so I had to take it down so uh-huh. that was that was back uh, in 92 1992. 1992
0: you also are i understand a fan of music and uh, singer-songwriters uh, who is your who is your mentor or your favorite singer in that genre
1: well, well, the thing is, I I like lyrics, and uh, most of the lyrics on the radio are they have an occasional a uh, twist and all that. But uh, it takes a real good su- singer songwriter to, to, to say a line like here. Uh, you know, James Taylor had one that says, "How can I miss something that I never knew?" You know, so hear something like that, and then I'm like, "Oh, okay." So then what I what I'll do is I'll I'll take it to another level, so it's not recognizable at all as James Taylor, but but at least uh, give me a start, and uh, I would say probably of all the people that had the creative uh, uh, juices, it was Marvin Gaye. So that's why I saw him in concert, and then shortly after that he passed. So I started reading the books on him and all that, and and, uh, and kind of became an expert on, yeah, especially the the editorial, like a theological way of looking at putting the books together. You can kind of see a bigger picture, you know, because some books uh, focus on him as uh, you know as more like a like a i some focused uh, as as a collaborator and so, you know they had different different perspectives on what he what it was that made him the one the man he was so i you put those together and then you, you kind of a bigger picture of what probably how he really was so i actually went over to I went, and I made Jay, I went over to to Belgium a couple of times because uh, that 's where his uh his good story uh happened. And and I saw the places that he was. I even met a, a fellow that actually saw him in those days, and uh, told me he ate a lot of fritz and uh, and uh, and and took to the soul. Was, you know. so, so he told me that. So I kind of like basically trying to, I guess I guess figure out how it is I can understand my own thing through somebody who was very prolific like Martin Gay.
0: And have you been writing poetry and keeping them for years, uh, or was this more of a recent a recent uh, phenomenon with you?
1: You mean as far as my new book? Yeah, far, as far as the, the new book, of, yes.
0: As far as which, the, the new book? Yes, right. the new book. Well,
1: what I what I did was uh, I had already published uh, a trilogy with uh, Ex Libras. and uh, before that I had written five books on my own, Synergy Press, and uh, what I did was— uh, you have to kind of put forth another 20 poems so to have a new book, apparently. So I wrote another 20 poems, and I put the best of all my, my poems as well. So this is like the best of the best, really.
0: Phenomenal. And how, how long did it take you to uh, assemble everything where you were happy with it? I did, was it a long process or one that was fairly quick?
1: Well, I, I wrote 20 poems, and then I had already put a manuscript kind of together before that. Uh, and then, of course, had the uh, thesis of uh, of making it a, a book about um, it's a fictional uh, historical kind of book. In other words, it has facts and are true, but also I made up a person to, to serve as the uh, the uh, I guess uh, eco skeleton of the the uh, the inspiration, which is a uh, I call her Lenacia.
2: Mm-hmm. Lenacia
1: is, uh, is basically a masseuse. That that may or may not have existed back in the day, but uh, apparently, uh, Marvin Gaye went through a, kind of a rehab situation in, over in Belgium, and he needed something to, uh, to to get better. So I said, why not make uh, Lenusha the masseuse that helped him with his creative writing, and, and and he was writing poetry. So that's what I did. And of course, the second part of the book is uh, is inspired by the journals that he, he kept there. Uh, apparently it's a pretty fascinating story. Apparently uh uh Marvin Gaye had nothing but his uh rec- his like t- that he had uh uh for his new album and his journals with, when he went to uh to uh, London from Maui and uh, stayed stayed there and, and just basically done one album until he basically was told uh, that he couldn't release it. So mm. Uh, that's the story of a of, of, uh, bottomless toothpaste flat Bruges. Uh, Bruges is in
0: Belgium, correct? Is this referring to uh, Bruges, yes, the, 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 the town? Yes, uh, my wife and I visited there, in, in a very uh, artistic area. Did you also have you also spent time there? It looks like uh, from the photo, yes. you may have. Yes,
1: I, yeah, I had to go there to, to uh, do the research for it, and uh, and the photographs the obviously came there as well.
0: Yes, uh, did did you get a, a hot no I was going to say did you get a hot dog on the square. I'm just teasing. Uh this is it was a fascinating uh, we took the um uh, I uh, the uh, boats uh I don't know what they call them but the transportation in the canals yeah, the tar, was just yeah, yeah they are yeah. they were the, the
1: tram the tram and all that. Yeah, I, was, I, I, I took a bus myself.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful beautiful town and very picturesque. It would certainly um motivate you to creative thinking. Is there a style that you would describe about your work?
1: I went I went over to uh, put, say, the face on, on the man. Yes. So I also, see, also, at the time my father had passed, and I was basically my own, I had a big Marvin Gaye fan, so I said, what, what a better way to um to try to make sense of, of how it is to be without my father than to see where Marvin Gaye was having his space, time, you know. Mm. So that's what I went over there at the time.
2: So I, it it did
1: help me quite a bit actually, because yeah. uh, when I came back, I had um, I had a whole sense of uh, uh like the the places that that I read about, and, and also the sense that that uh, a person uh, has a soul or spirit that is usually uh, reinforced reinforced by a parent or or some mentor or something like that. True. And when you lose that, you have to uh, fall back on something. So I kind of fell back on my poetry. So it was helpful for me.
0: Do you have anything in your poetry in your book, or maybe something you can share with the audience that would give them yeah, a sure, sense sure. of uh, sense of how you approach uh, not only philosophy but also uh, the creative process?
1: Right. I can uh, actually the title poem uh, because it has uh, a, a, a reference. Uh, something that Derek Walcott, the famous uh, poet who passed, uh, uh, called Another Life. He did a, a poem, a book uh, called Another Life, and I had to do a paper on it when I was in Boston University, so I had to be familiar with that book. So uh, I wrote, a, I wrote uh, loosely around that, so I'll read that for you. Sure. It's called Toothpaste Flats on Bottom Bruges. Singing to myself, I hear the hooves of horse and wagon Laughter floats within its haven of relinquished restraint. Economics is a relief as the canal moves couples further from Plaid and bruges. I step onto the edge of bottomless crossroads as my Western Union euros for another week are folded safely in my right pan pocket. I've learned to stay clean, to have my comb dry like flattened toothpaste, force a non haircut's waves straight as sanity to see beauty whenever the breeze brushes it back into natural laws approaching chaos. I found myself uncurled from the fetal position each time I hear the church bell toll across these cobblestone streets of old money as I sip over coffee burns that, swallowed it, that swallow it whole. For others have but bottomless toothpaste flats to keep my foreign presence here milk cold. Walking up my street, I hear my footsteps echoed In the raindrops that begin again at dusk, as fear breathes competition into brushing twos. Closing my bruised elevator as others join me, I find the memories of ageless strife getting old. Feel myself crossing over into another life as the reel keeps me open. Instead, take stock in the holds I've chosen well.
0: Fascinating. Your style is is certainly reflective, uh, and uh, a very unusual title for a book. But again, I understand from what you are saying and what you have uh, have uh, shared in your book uh, why this was important to to use that as a title. Are the, are these poems uh, your reflections? Are they something that everyone will will find uh, Im- something they can embrace in them, uh, even though they may not yeah, understand?
1: Yes, definitely, Jay. See, see the thing was, uh, I'm also, uh, uh, I guess, it's, uh, uh, I guess you can call it a servant of uh, of Gnostic uh, literature. In other words, I believe that um, that the, the whole, I read the whole Holy Bible in, in three and a half years straight,
2: hmm. and
1: I and I, after that, I had read some of the Gnostic books and all the popular ones. I read all those, and what I found was that um, that, that there's really two sides to. Uh, to uh, to human nature. In other words, uh, there's, you can break it down into just two tendencies, really. And the first one is that if you pray, uh, in other words, you put like uh, I call it forceful prayer, but but some people pray pray like that, like I do. But uh, other people just pray like kind of negotiating things, I guess. But right. so the thing is that if you pray, you kind of uh, you kind of become a cocoon, uh, and and you're focusing on your on your um, inner thoughts. And what the, that does is it, it kind of calms down your surroundings. It's, it's like, uh, slows down the world. And if you are praising someone, like, uh, taking, uh, it's basically a give and take. But when you, when you take praise, you actually speed up the world. People get all excited and they, mm. they want to, it's like desperation habits. And, uh, I learned that, for, uh, over many, many years. But, but, uh, the, the basic point of it is, is that we become, um, almost, uh, in need of both of them because, uh, for example, one side of the world is sleeping, the other side is working, you know, so we need, we need right. both sides to kind of survive in this, in this times.
0: The book reviews, have they, have there been any uh, about your writing? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I had a couple, I I had, uh, they they actually did one from, for me, I'll tell you the name of people, but, uh, well, the main thing is that they're from, the uh, U.S. Review, review Books and also Pacific Book Review did a uh, book review on
0: me. Excellent. So you're getting positive feedback.
1: Yep, definitely. They, they say that I'm uh, I'm like a, a, new, uh, uh, a beast poet trying to rewrite Ecclesiastes. That's, what they say.
0: <laughs> that's one way to describe it. It's fascinating. Your book, again, is uh, titled Bottomless Toothpaste Flats in Bruges, uh, a poet's memoir. And uh, the poet and author who's joined me from in the Caribbean, during the warmer weather. I'm thinking this time of year, John Patrick Acevedo. Where do we get copies of your book, John?
1: Well, you can get it on Ex Libris uh, U.S. Publishing, and also if you just Google my name, John Patrick Acevedo, you'll be able to find any any online store like Amazon, you know, uh, Barnes and Noble, all the all the places you would normally buy your books.
0: And if they do a search under your name, they also can find the other, uh, all, yeah. other books that you've you've uh, pinned.
1: Well, well, the ones that I've done, I have I, I haven't been able to uh, to put them on the internet. But I have uh, the the trilogies out. And I have uh, the the three books that I did, which is uh, it's going to be we're watching her show. Uh, um, let's see here, uh, healing without suffering, Napoleonic. Culminations, and also the ebook, which is a comprehensive uh, book of all three of those, which is called The Watch That Saved Waterloo. Interesting. Again, the title of this book, Bottomless
0: Toothpaste Flats in Bruges. A Poet's Memoir, John Patrick Acevedo, has been my guest. Thank you, sir, for joining me from San Juan in Puerto you, Rico. Jerry. It's a pleasure visiting with you, and best of luck. I hope to visit with you again in the future.
1: Thanks a lot,
0: Jay. My pleasure for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at TogiNet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcast. The subjects our podcast cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching to military resources
2: to business success, even to the paranormal, we have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at
0: 903-787-5880 or email him at Scott at toginetradio. dot com. That's S C O T T at T O G I N E T R A D
2: I O. dot com.
0: Welcome back to Ex Libris. Readings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title, Clouds of War, Past, Present, and On the Horizon. Joining me from New Mexico is the author, Jerry L. Burton. Welcome, sir, to the program.
3: Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Pleasure to visit with you. Your book is uh, an extensive read, very well researched. How did you come to write this book? What motivated you, sir?
3: Well, it uh, has two sides. First of all, uh, it was a friend that uh, I flew with in uh, the New Mexico Civil Air Patrol. And um, he was a retired Air Force lieutenant colonel, a guy named Bill Drum. And this was back in the early 1990s. Uh, He had flown uh, B-24s in the China-Burma-India theater. Uh, He was a flying tiger uh to add on to that and and uh, so i was really interested in that because i had a an uncle in uh, burma in world war ii and uh, my father-in-law had been a nose gunner in b 24s so um, the cbi theater itself had uh, received very little coverage um in the shadow of germany and japan so i take a special interest in him because of where he had been um, Bill was very proud of his service, 28 years as a combat veteran. Uh, he witnessed uh, just about every crisis and conflict uh, between that time up uh, through the Berlin blockade and, and Vietnam. He retired shortly after Vietnam and um, moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and of course that's where I met him, here here in Albuquerque. Um, I was still in the Air National Guard at the time. I'm also a retired lieutenant colonel um twenty nine years in the Air Force now and Elmer retired um, and I had joined Civil Air Patrol for the same reason bill did. We wanted to keep flying uh, I was also a flight instructor and and a flight instructor at the base so uh civil air patrol was a a good mission we could keep serving uh in our retirement and uh, we flew a lot of missions together, um, and that uh, that brought us close together as friends. He uh, retired flying sooner than I did. Um, he and his wife <clears throat> moved into a retirement home, and uh, he asked me over there for breakfast one morning. So I went, and um, we had a good time, but he seemed to be very lonely. He missed the flying. He missed the camaraderie. Uh, And he seemed to me to be doubting his worth. Uh, And that happens when we get older. It does. Uh, He was was doing a little bit of life review and saying, gee, you know, I'm really proud of what I've done. Nobody seems to even remember it today, though. So I, uh, I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in his shoes pretty soon, so what would I want someone to do for me? So I asked him about the breakfast thing, and I said, Bill, how many people could you have over here? How many would they allow you to have for breakfast? And he said, well, no, no limit. They've got a big, big breakfast room. So I invited a bunch of our mutual friends from Civil Air Patrol to come over and have breakfast with him. He set it up. And lo and behold, we had forty attendees, over forty attendees at that first breakfast. Incredible. And he was thrilled. Yeah, all oh, the, the response. Well, you know, that's the camaraderie of, of service, I think. People people make ties. So these guys came to support him and and it was it was wonderful. Everybody there had a war story, of course. And by telling that story and reliving some of their events, you could see the, the worth built in their carriage. They, they were proud of what they had done and they were sharing it with people who cared and people who could identify with it. And I've, I've always had a, a feeling of worth for people. Everyone has worth. And here was an opportunity to start, a meeting every month, which we did um and it was you know one day a month we would meet for breakfast the uh the thing has gone on in fact we because of COVID, we had to quit, but otherwise it's gone on for about fifteen years um every tuesday and uh same thing, these guys get together, they tell their war stories, and I've heard them thirty times but uh <laughs> but they're just like they're fresh. And um and just seeing these guys' faces uh and just seeing their chest puff out a little bit because they were there, they did something important, they were worth something. Um that that was worth every effort it took and and um uh, that's fulfilling. So that was the other reason that I, I wrote the book. It's for people who have been there, done that, um and to let them know that they are remembered and they are worth something.
0: That's beautiful. Uh, you've done a wonderful service for someone who has served his country and served others. And I, uh, I uh, think it must have been uh, rewarding for you. Did you discover anything uh, either about your primary biographical sketch person or others that you hadn't known in uh, preparing for this? And did it surprise you any?
3: Well, I learned a lot about, uh, history that i thought i knew and um i i tend to do a lot of research because i i have a pretty strong science background and um so i believe in research and um i had not researched history as much as i did for this book um and the people that i have met uh in the process um have um revealed more about their inner selves and, and their pride and and their experiences. Um, so again, what, where I thought I had valued them, I suddenly valued them more, uh, because I saw deeper into them. The history was, uh, enlightening to me because, um, for example, World War One. I, um, I never really understood from the professors how World War One got started over the assassination of one Archduke and his wife.
2: Right. And then
3: I looked at, I looked at the the agreements that those nations in Europe had made, and they had made their alliances based on who they feared. They would make an alliance with who they feared, and this is in the book. But but what happened then was they. They thought if they made an alliance with who they feared they wouldn't get attacked by that person or that nation. but then when that nation went to war, all of a sudden they were drugged into war and and everybody had a crazy alliance set up before World War one because it was defensive and so they all ended up fighting each other, and it could have been solved you know at a at a peace table
2: Incredible. and that troubled me hmm.
3: so in fact that that actually that actually led to the, to the title of clouds of war, because if we can read the clouds, like, like a weatherman does, you know, if you're going to go on a picnic, you, you look out and you look at the cloud and say, "Eh, maybe not today. Or, or, or maybe you say, wow, it looks great. Uh, No clouds in the sky or the clouds are all the white puffy peace clouds. You know, if we treated war the same way and we look around and we start to recognize what the signs of war are before there is war, then we could either change the route so that we don't have a war or that we can can um, at least make the right alliances and maybe bolster ourselves up so that we can survive a war. Um, but, you know, if we just suddenly get thrown into war like Europe did, uh, all of the diplomacy... Um, is no longer available to us
0: incredible and we
3: end up killing each other and and so that's why clouds of war are important and in the book, after each war, I point out what the clouds of war should have been that people should have recognized then they could have gone and negotiated and worked like humans instead of killing each other like 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 <laughs> bad people.
0: Uh, Yes, I was watching a documentary on World War II the other evening, and uh, it it caused me to really stop and think how uh, much or how little Human life was reduced to in some of those conflicts and some of those uh, some of those events. You talk about war on the horizon as well, and I'm 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 assuming from what you've just said that you, by looking at history and uh, talking about what has taken place, that this will provide a cautionary. A tale for those who read it, and anyone that loves flying. Now, was there also humor? uh, Humor in Bill's life that you shared?
3: There was a lot of humor in in Bill's life. He was a pretty happy-go-lucky guy, Uh, good-looking fella, Um, and as he says, uh, he still is, and uh, and and he is, for a guy ninety-six years old. Incredible. Um, but he he uh yeah he uh, he's still lively he's still alert uh and he and I speak every well several times a week uh and many times several times a day but um uh, he's he's a funny guy because he uh, is not afraid to take chances there are some stories in there that as he went through flying school there are always funny things in flying school some of them not so funny at the time um they had uh, started training in uh, open cockpit airplanes and uh, the instructor had taken one of the students up this guy was a good student in terms of being enthusiastic but on this particular flight they were going to do loops and of course, the first thing that comes to your mind is you're upside down in a loop. Wonder what happened to this guy? Well, he was so anxious to do the loop that he had forgotten to put a seatbelt on. Oops! And he fell no, out. He fell out, out of the airplane at the top of the loop. And um, so the instructor flew back to the airport and with an empty back or empty front seat. And uh, of course, the other student said, "You know, where's where's?" so-and-so, <laughs> and he said, well, I don't know, he's somewhere between here and the practice area, and uh, they said, well, aren't you going to send a truck for him? He said, no. Next time, he'll remember this, and he'll <laughs> do his, uh, to his shoot, you know? Oh, boy. Um, and and that's, uh, that was funny for everybody except the student, I'm sure.
0: Oh, of course not, yes. There are
3: other funny stories in there, uh, and uh, but I'll leave those for the reader.
0: How long did it take you to complete this, Jerry? The the book itself, uh, the research, and getting it to getting it to publisher and uh, in print.
3: Well, it took me three and a half years to write it, um, and part of that was because Bill had so many stories, and um, and also the direction that we were going to go with it uh, was was changed. We started off strictly as a biography. And then uh, we—I uh, saw the opportunity in in the uh, the fact that Bill was not always accurate in his recollection of history. <laughs> he was telling exactly what he was telling exactly what he saw and what he knew. But <clears throat> the fog of war then stuck out in my mind, and here was an opportunity for me to bring history in. Against his life, done I've really got a history book, and I have woven in Bill's life as a narrator, and he narrates his own story through this book, and then periodically, after a, a any given situation where he's wrong, then i will I put in comments that here's what was really going on. And this illustrates fog of war hmm. between what he knew and what was really happening. So you have fog of war in there. You got clouds in there. And, uh, so three and a half years to the making, uh, and that, <clears throat> that covers the time that it got to the publisher. It was just released, uh, September 10th. So, um, Uh, i'll just i'll stay with the three and a half
0: years (laughs) that's i've had some authors that have spent 19 or 20 years uh, developing a storyline so i think three and a half years is a a relatively short uh, period of time to complete a book of this stature you you have uh, talked about a uh, a training mission that was aborted and uh, some odd things happened on that Uh, did you find anything unusual beyond what you've shared in your book as far as classification or other
3: things, well, this that uh, that particular event um, was, um, I, I think, monumental. As far as you know, when people say they would like to go back in time and be a part of history, well, Bill didn't go back in time, but he was a part of history and didn't know it. Um, and it was significant history. Um, I, I. Um, I can relate to where he was because I had, uh, I had done some, uh, temporary duty at that same base. Um, and I was aware of, of its history. So I, I took full advantage of, of, uh, touring it and, and seeing what was there. But, um, <clears throat> that, uh, I don't know. Does that really cover your question? I, your I think,
0: I think so. You you just mentioned that uh, they landed at a base they were not familiar with or were not planning to land at and uh, were met with uh, gentlemen with rifles and other things that would have put uh, maybe my Depends uh, into action or in into use. Uh, that would have been a very frightening uh, situation. Uh, you've really dealt with a the China-Burma-India theater uh, of World War Two, mostly in this book, I guess, and then other things, other incidences that have happened. It would be a fascinating read, and would you call this an easy read for my listeners?
3: Uh, actually, that depends on who your listeners are. <laughs> but um, I think I think that, uh, you know, judging from what I know about uh, about what you do and where it goes, I think you have a lot of readers out there. Uh, who are like the people who have been getting back to me I've been getting feedback already and and people who are interested in history real history and how history ties into life um, they would love this book uh, and I, I say that with confidence because I've had people coming back to me saying hey why Jerry this was this is a good job and I am really enjoying this um, people are reading it in, Three days, four days, and uh, you know, not putting it down until they get it done. Uh, anyone who uh, likes military humor, uh, anybody in the military, anybody who's ever been in the military, there are stories in here about about orders getting mixed up, uh, getting stranded in in India when he's supposed to be on another airplane going to the United States, and he ends up. Virtually thumbing his way mm. from airplane to airplane to get back to the United States at the end of World War II.
0: Amazing, amazing, <laughs> and,
3: and you know thing, things, like that. That that uh, you 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 have a hard time making up some of the stories that he has to tell. But
0: um, well, it's a fascinating.
3: Anyway, yeah, people it- who like humor, humor, history uh in real life there's so many things to write about in real life that that um I'll never be satisfied with a a novel
0: anymore. I'm very much appreciative of your sharing the story. The title of the book again is Clouds of War, Past, Present, and on the Horizon. And it deals uh, with really a look back in some ways at a 100 years of American war history and uh, does so with uh, humorous spots, uh, poignant spots, and uh, you know, just real life embedded in its cover. How do we get copies of this, Jerry?
3: You can get it through Amazon. It's it's uh, Amazon and uh, Ex Libris online bookstore, uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, Those are the three primary places, and and um, any major bookstore. If you walked in and asked them. they they could uh, order it for you.
0: Absolutely, and I think there's a website that you are developing or have one under underway. Is that uh, possible as well?
3: The website has just come up, and it's it's going to be Clouds of War, Jerry Alberton, and I will have my my uh, information and other writings that are on there. I would like to mention one more thing if we sure. have time.
0: Absolutely. Um,
3: at the end of the book, I talk about the the war that's on the horizon, and you may you might have been going to get to this, but uh, the war on the horizon is is getting closer and closer. If you look at today's politics, I mean, this is a book that that um, is very up to date. It's timely. I did a lot of intel work in the military. I've seen insurgency in this country, and I've been a part of the counter-insurgency effort myself personally, and worked at some of the highest levels, um, the threat to our Constitution is very, very real. And people just don't understand how how different we are. We take our Constitution for granted. A Constitution is not a dead document. It is not a static document. It can be changed. That's why we have amendments to it. Mm. And People need to get involved in our system of government. The key to winning this war is involvement by the people, because under our Constitution, everybody is important. We we have had a people, or we've had a, a government that we think of as for the people, but we've dropped the of the people and by the people. And we are the people, and we have to get involved. So there's a call for that, and this book, the last chapter of this book is not written, and it it will not be written by me. It will be written by the citizens of this country, people who love this country, and and can see the good in it, and the good intent, and what it does for not just this country, but for the world. So my call is to them, that they become responsible citizens who are active in their government. We don't have a representative if they don't know us and we don't know them. Senators don't represent us if they don't know us and we don't know them. Um, And as much as I hate politics, uh, I get involved in politics in terms of, I'll write a letter, I'll make a phone call. I want my representative to know what I represent and what I want him or her to represent.
0: Beautiful. And,
3: And that is the challenge of this book.
0: Fantastic. Timely and important advice. Uh, Jerry, obviously it's part of your makeup, part of your passion in life, uh, not only to inform, but also to inspire. So uh, I would take that to heart, listeners, and get a copy of this book, the title of which again is Clouds of War, Past, Present, and On the Horizon. My guest author who has joined me from New Mexico is Jerry L. Burton. Thank you, sir, for being a part of today's program.
3: Thank you, Jay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Only once every few years does a show come along that makes you think, makes you care, makes you believe the impossible a show featuring only the best in writing, acting, and directing. Until that show comes along, we suggest Paranoria, Texas. Thrilled to the adventures of six super-powered nerds on a never-ending quest to take over the world and to complete their collection of She-Hulk comics. Paranoria, Texas, Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on AstronetRadio.com. back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book, Weeds of Life, subtitled Mastering Growth. And joining me from near Beaumont, Texas, is the author, Chernobyl Thomas. Welcome to the program.
4: Thank you. I'm glad to be here this morning.
0: Well, thank you for, for being on the other end of the, of the phone line. It was uh, a pleasure to talk with you prior to our recording, and I am curious about the book. It's not a long read. It's under 100 pages, I think in the 70s somewhere, about 72 pages or so. What is the, uh, what is the reason you decided you wanted to share some thoughts and uh, things that would uh, last from beyond now to the future? What was what the reason you wrote the book?
4: Well, I've been, this book has been on my heart for a long time. And it's basically just an overall view of my life and the kind of things that, that I went through. And I believe that my life was a very, very interesting life. And I just used it to help someone else to pull through because you see a lot of people that they kind of give up.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
4: figured that if I can share my story with someone, that would help them move a little further because I always believe if you just keep breathing you have an opportunity to continue what God has planned for you.
0: Beautiful. You've dedicated the book to your mom. I am presuming from that photo and also from the dedication that she was a major influence in a positive way on your life and perhaps uh, is the motivation and the positive outlook that you have now. Is that, uh, is that a good way to look at that?
4: That is so true because I used my mama and her life as an example to keep continuing to push me and my family further. Because my mother was brought up where they had a lot of tradition and rules and ways, and she was kind of just stuck. And she began to teach us those same methods. But even as a kid, I always felt like it was more, that it was more. Even though she was doing the best she could, but she was taught to stand at a limit, to never think about how you, because you're, you're given. What's given to you is where you need to stay it, and mm. I just never felt right in my spirit about that. But one thing that my mama taught me, she taught me how to forgive, she taught me how to love, and she taught me the word. And those three things are what helped me push through life, even when things were kicking me down, knocking me down. Me going back and thinking about my mama saying, "Don't give up." She <sighs> know what all you can actually grab, but she'll show teach you, "Don't give up, baby." Whatever you do, don't give up. Beautiful. So I had to dedicate this book to her.
0: A, b- a beautiful photo, and of two, it uh, looks like young girls in the front. Are you one of those? I'm guessing, or is that a? Yes,
4: bo- I'm the one. Actually, I think my my head is down. It's me and my sister, <laughs> and my sister. She's older than me, but she was like a protector. Mm. It was like you could do no wrong in my sister' eyesight, and she's still today. You know, we we bump heads often, but <laughs> she's still my big sister. And the love that she has for me and my siblings is unimaginable. You would just never think that a sibling would love you as much as my sister supposed to do.
2: In-
0: incredible. Now, you, uh, again, uh, pushed on through as a, an educated individual as well, even though you grew up in a small town that possibly didn't have uh, a lot of uh, college graduates. Do did, did, did you have a degree, is that correct, in, in business? Yes, I
4: have a degree in business. Of uh, concentrating and finance. Beautiful. That was one of the hardest degrees I ever obtained in my life. <laughs> well, that's oh actually the only one. <laughs> but the reason why I'm saying it because when I first made my decision to, uh, well, actually, let me just tell you a little short thing because I didn't graduate with my class. Mm-hmm. I, I was class of 94. I ended up getting pregnant and had to drop out. And so I ended up getting married. And when I got ready to go back to school, I remember we had one vehicle, and it was like I had to be at the place to take my test that morning. And the vehicle was gone. I'm like, oh, God, how am I going to get to school? I actually got on a bicycle and rolled my bicycle all the way up. Well, it wasn't my bicycle. It was a neighbor's bicycle. And I rolled it all the way up to the testing place to take my test so I can actually get my diploma. And then, I mean, I just went through trying to grab my degree, and, like, I went through divorce. (laughs) I went through a child passing. I mean— Everything wow. that can possibly imagine came up to me, so I would not obtain this degree. But I set my mind, and all I keep hearing my mama say, keep pushing. Don't give up. Beautiful. And I pushed to the end.
0: That's uh, an incredible, t- incredible testimony of your uh, tenacity and uh, certainly the fact that you don't give up. Uh, part of your history also, did you have the opportunity of uh, meeting the President of the United States?
4: In 1999, they had the big government conference meeting. And uh, what happened is that I worked in, I, I lived in St. Louis then, and I worked at the Adams more Hotel. So we, they had uh, all the Secret Servicemen and everyone They was coming to, the, to go out the President. So I had the opportunity to stand on the side of the Secret servicemen. I didn't actually go up to, uh, to President Clinton and shake his hand, but I was right. like feet away from him, <laughs> which was... Amazing to me, I stood on the side of the Secret Service, man and you couldn't tell me at that point I thought I was Secret Service.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so
4: that was an awesome experience for me. But all the all the government governors from all around the world they came to Adam Marks Hotel in nineteen ninety nine.
0: Phenomenal! What a wonderful memory. You, you have also in your book highlighted the fact that there is a faith element or a hope element and faith that is part of your tenacity and also part of your story.
4: Yes, uh, I have a. All throughout the book, it's a lot of uh, faith elements in the book that kind of help you. I'm gonna go uh, uh, to one of the first time we really recognizing faith and the love of God is my little brother. He took sick, and he was like six, and he took sick. He couldn't walk, and we didn't know what was wrong with him, so we rushed him to the hospital. They did a biopsy in his back, and they said that he had uh, leukemia. They said he had cancer in his back. So they had to rush him and we like we said we're from a small town, so they had to take him to New Orleans. So before they took him though, my mama got all gathered all her kids around the bed and she began to pray. And I could I could see the sincerity in my mother's eyes as she was praying over her son, even the pastor. The pastor was there, but my mama had you could feel the power coming from my mother at that time. And she was she was beginning to speak over my brother and she was telling us what to speak and to pray and to believe in God that he was gonna be healed. So then they flew him to New Orleans. My mama couldn't fly with him. I think she had to drive. And by the time my mother made it to New Orleans, she called us back screaming and howling. She said they did another uh, autopsy on the on the situation, and they couldn't find anything. was there nothing wrong with him. right then at the at that age, I knew, I believed then that God could do anything. That it wasn't nothing that God couldn't do and make happen in my life.
0: Beautiful story, beautiful, beautiful firsthand event that you're sharing with our audience. The title of the book, again, is called Weeds of Life. That title has some personal significance to you, and I think I understand the reason behind it. But share it with my audience. Why would they want to read Weeds of Life?
4: Well, Weeds of Life, I was sitting when I got ready to write this book, and I was beginning to think, what could the title be? Well, I had a godmother growing up, and my godmother lived on a farm. And she used to take, I used to stay with her on the farm, and we would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and she had a routine. She would drink a coffee, we'd go out to the fishing pond and fish, and then we'd start tending the garden. Well, she began to show us how to plant. And when you begin to plant things, and then, say, for instance, you have a a, a plant or something that you didn't plant, it's, it's not growing quite well. So what you have to do, you have to take that dirt, you have to dig that dirt all up from around that plant till you get to the roots. Then you get to the roots. You clean them roots off good. You water them roots down. And then you put them back in some good, fresh soil. And then you begin to put the dirt all. And it's kind of like a rebuild. And it was showing me from the weeds of life. You have to make sure that you don't put all those weeds up from around that plant that's trying to smother that plant out from growing. And so the whole concept, I was like, this is basically life. Hmm. When you're in life and things begin to just smother you down and just take control over you, you have to start taking those weeds out of your life and pulling them out, taking them out of your life. And then you have to start putting the word, watering yourself again and rebuilding yourself and freshly soil so you can actually grow beautifully again. So that's how I come up with the title, Weeds of Life.
0: How beautiful. It's a, a nice illustrative uh, view of your story. You, As you were writing it, I, I know you wanted to have a positive impact on the reader. What do you think they'll get from this in reading about your life? You've had some challenges, but it hasn't soured your outlook at the, from what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing in your book.
4: Right, well, No, it, it hasn't. Life has been beautiful through so all the obstacles and different things that come Oh, I, mean, I, went, I was married for 19 years before I, I had a divorce. And that was one of the biggest things I, I had. I dealt with in the book. I also dealt with molestation from stepfathers. Mm. And I see a lot of people, they so angry when things happen to them so they can't get past it. And to, to to see someone that you have loved for 19 years marry someone else and go on with their life, the, you, you've had kids with them and they just disregard your kids it makes you build up a a sour spot in your life Mm. and i just wanted to make sure that young girls men whoever that they can grab this and realize yes life is going to bring you some hard challenges yes but that doesn't mean that you have to go out there and commit suicide that you have to go kill whoever you're dealing with that you can come back to yourself and say let me take care of me let me rebuild me. So if something in me that I didn't do correctly, I don't care what you say, because a lot of people, when things happen, they always blame the other person. But if you can come back and start with redoing and rebuilding yourself, then you're able to grow and get what God has for you in your life.
0: Beautiful, beautifully put. And so absolutely right on as far as uh, the message, for sure. I know people who who, uh, spend their time in fact I have a, a friend I'll call him a friend and a, a, an individual I'm trying to help that's been homeless for a number of years I would say three or four at least he has a um, you know I would think a, a background as a man in management and in leadership and and his life has fallen apart um, he's trying to create a website that's very positive called tell me a miracle and uh, he calls me nearly every day. He doesn't complain. He doesn't, uh, you know, underscore the fact that he's been living in his car for the last year and a half or two years. He's always upbeat, and he won't hang out with people who are negative. He uh, he is very grateful right. for each day that he has, and even though it doesn't uh, look good from the outside looking in, Uh, I believe that that you can have the right attitude uh, in order to go through life and and, uh, succeed. Your book definitely is that type of book, one that will inspire the reader. A short read, again, about 70 pages or so, but it does underscore the fact that it doesn't matter where you are from or what you have seen or been it's where you're headed and i love the fact wow. that you are very positive about your book and certainly the faith element from my perspective is a very important aspect of what you have shared the title of the book again is weeds of life mastering growth Shernova, Sherniva uh, thomas has been my guest Sherniva, where do we get copies of your
4: book well, actually, you can get copies anywhere. Uh, they're on Amazon. You can go to com and get a copy there. You can go to my website. My website is com and you can order your book off the line. You can go into uh, Barnes & Noble, any bookstore, and you can just request my book and they're able to get it to you, and most easily just do it at home online though. But whichever one you prefer and whichever one is best for you.
0: Fantastic. Uh, On your website, and I haven't looked at your website, I'm just curious, uh, are you sharing other inspirational thoughts out there yet, or is that something that's uh, for the future?
4: Yes, Right right now I'm getting ready to uh, to share more on my website and I'm getting ready to, I'm developing a YouTube channel as we speak. It should be available in a couple of weeks now. But I'm going to have a lot, a lot of inspirational things. that uh, I, I, You were, you said the story about your friend, and it kind of really just impacted me then because I have an uncle that he's moved here with me, but he, come to find out he was in California, and he was homeless for 10 years, and we didn't oh know. My. And he FaceTimed me one time, and I looked at his hands, and I said, Uncle, are you okay? And he broke out crying. Mm. And I said, you know you can come home, huh? And he cried He said He never thought that he could come home. They never even. And right now, I just want to give a, a lovely testimony. My uncle has been here for three years now. He's in the process of buying his house. He's bought a car. I mean, his whole <laughs> outlook on life have just changed. And it's really because at his confidence level, we begin to speak life to him and Beautiful. begin to build him back up. Beautiful. Because that's what the world, the world will tear you down. But build, finding someone that can build you up or you building yourself up is the most important thing.
0: Boy, that has uh, never been truer in than in today's economy, for sure. Right. Uh, Sherneva. thank you again for being a part of uh, our program today and also sharing the positive influence that you will have on hopefully millions uh, or those that will, will read your book, the title of which, again, is Weeds of Life, Mastering Growth. Cherneva is spelled C-H-E-R-N-E-V-A, last name Thomas. We are delighted to visit with you, and I have a feeling if you keep your attitude straight, we may be talking again in the future with another follow-up book. Is that a possibility? That
4: that is certainly correct.
0: Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing (laughs) your story with us today, and have a blessed day for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker.